Industry Perspectives, a podcast series that brings you developments in the Canadian investment space and potential impacts facing CIBC Mellon clients and institutional investors in the Canadian market. My name is Trish Roberts, Assistant Vice President Relationship Management, and I'm very pleased to moderate today. Today we have a second episode based on our recent exploration and discussion around advancing with Indigenous institutional investors. If you missed our first episode, where I sat down with Lavina to discuss implications for non-Indigenous institutional investors, please check that out as well. Today we're going to talk about how Indigenous institutions are advancing and how they are engaging in more sophisticated ways with their peers their stakeholders and their non-Indigenous institutions to advance their organizations and achieve their goals. Joining me is Neelan Palmer, Senior Relationship Manager at CIBC Mellon. Neelan works with many of our Indigenous institutional clients. Late in 2021, we had a fascinating discussion featuring Mark Sylvester, the Haudenosaunee Mohawk from the Six Nations of Ontario. Mark has an array of roles. He is a General Manager of the Mississaugas of the Credit Nation Community Trust. He is also founding member of the National Aboriginal Trust Officers Association, where he is a board member, committee chairman, and president. Mark also leads the Reconciliation and Responsible Investment Initiative, which is linking Indigenous values to Indigenous investing, as well as helping non-Indigenous investors utilize their portfolios to achieve the goals of reconciliation in Canada. We also welcome Jamie Lickers, who is Vice President, Indigenous Markets at CIBC. A lawyer by training, Jamie joined CIBC in 2020. She covers Indigenous trust services, Indigenous lending, and advises on retail banking for Indigenous clients. Jamie is an Onondaga, a member of the Six Nations of the Grand River. And finally, Andrew Hoffman is a Vice President, Portfolio Manager at Leith Wheeler Investments Council. Andrew has been working in the investment industry since 1993 and as a portfolio manager since 1997. He joined Leith Wheeler in 2007 and has been working with Indigenous clients ever since. He is a member of the CFA Society Vancouver and holds a Chartered Financial Analyst CFA designation. He volunteers with several not-for-profit organizations including Ronald McDonald House, BC Yukon and the National Aboriginal Trust Officers Association Education Committee. Neilan, after hearing our panelists, what are some of your observations that you've heard come out of this uh, discussion? And, and perhaps you can share with us some of what your clients are saying to you. Trish, I'm really excited to be here and explore this topic with you. I've been speaking to a lot of our Indigenous clients and what they've been relaying back to me is that they are wanting to be at the table. And this is a general movement that we're seeing across the industry. Indigenous communities are no longer working through intermediaries. They are now speaking directly with their end solution providers. And I think that's really part of the evolution of what we're seeing, that they're bringing the expertise in-house and uh, we're now speaking to our respective Indigenous clients directly. Nilan, can you share with us what you're doing specifically around engaging your clients? How are you talking to them and what are they saying? What we're seeing on our side is that as clients' assets are growing, their complexity in investment solutions is evolving, which is giving CAB Smell an opportunity to bring forward the various areas of expertise 
that we have through either CIBC Bank New York Mellon. Uh, and it really is giving an opportunity to offer the full breadth of our product solutions to this uh, uh, client class. Now I'm really interested in hearing from the panel. I really like what Mark had to say where it's not us versus them, but it is us together. Let's take a listen. One of the things that I've learned uh, through my journey with uh, the Reconciliation Responsible Investment Initiative is not we're not out here doing this all by ourselves. I think that there are a lot of organizations out there that have been working for our benefit, you know, bringing forward shareholder proposals to to strengthen Indigenous rights and people's uh, and human rights. Uh, so it, it's the notion of allyship. There's a lot of organizations doing good work uh, that are, are similar uh, to the values that uh, Indigenous peoples uh, have and in terms of climate change or environmental protection. So I'm thinking that that's where there's a lot of support out there. And, and so working with uh, groups that will um, you know, support the things in the, that are important to us uh, is, is incredibly helpful. We are shareholders. We are as Jamie said, uh, managing a tremendous amount of wealth uh, on behalf of our communities. And up until, you know, we started Natoa, essentially we were handing that over to a group of investment managers and hoping they do a, a good job uh, recognizing our values uh, in, in, a, in a way that we would if we had that um, skill and ability. But I think overall, I think that's part of, of where we're going for uh, you know, non-indigenous um, corporations and peoples to to really help us move forward because if it's it's not just good for an indigenous person or a community that you know we protect our environment, we protect um, our rights, and and we we share in the wealth that's generated off of uh, the lands and resources of this country. Uh, it it builds up the Canadian economy as a whole, as opposed to pushing an Indigenous group aside, throwing a little bit of money at them and still excluding them from the benefits of what's going on within that, um, you know, within within those areas. Uh, you know, a quick anecdote is that, you know, the lands that were the Haldeman grant where uh, Jamie and, and my community is located, um, you know, generates $4 billion a year in, in economic activity where Six Nations doesn't participate in any of that. And I think as we get our message out there of, of as traditional landholders or traditional territories, then you know the the moving forward portion of it um, becomes more positive and and inclusive. So I'm I'm thinking that you know my answer to the question is that the allyship that we we can generate uh, is not an us versus them, but it's an us together message. I really like what Mark said about not being alone and um, with a lot of, certainly a lot of organizations working together, but we really need to do more. And with all the support there is out there, we, we really need to continue to move forward and do more for, for everyone. So Neil, and what, what were your thoughts around that? For me, what struck me was uh, how Mark talked about how as the Indigenous communities prosper, that level of success does move on to the rest of Canada as well. And it, it isn't simply just an isolated type of scenario. It is as these communities grow and as they expand out uh, their success, it does uh, move on to the rest of Canada as well. And it's not just throwing money at 
certain communities and just walking away. It is making sure that we nurture yeah. both sides of the And I agree. I mean, I think that uh, building our economy takes all, all people to be included. Now we're going to hear from Andrew. He's going to speak to us about what non-Indigenous institutions can do. Yeah, well, certainly it's uh, it's early in the game. Um, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, only came down with uh, with TRC five or six six years ago, Mark. Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, so it it is early days. When you think about responsible investing, you think about ESG. It's been uh, going on for many, many, many years, decades, um, and it's been evolving. And I think that uh, TRC is is relatively new to many asset managers, asset owners out there. Um, how this goes hand in glove though with uh, in working with uh, indigenous nations, indigenous organizations, I think for them it's understanding what the playing field uh, looks like and will look like and understand what asset managers will be trying to do. Um, case in point would be like if it's an extractive industry that uh, an asset manager wants to own for your community trust. Um, have they been taking the steps? Mark spoke about free prior to informed consent. We kind of refer to it as FPIC. Um, is there a policy in place? What does that look like? Um, what, are, what is the manager doing to ensure that, uh, that their businesses um, and projects have gone through those proper steps to ensure that proper consultation has, has occurred? So that's just one example um, where I think Indigenous communities um, trusts can have a better understanding of what is being asked of asset managers, asset owners, and be be partners with them. Not not so much just you know in the worst case scenario antagonists, but uh, but more so just how how do we work together and, and what are these people trying to achieve for us and our community? So Andrew spoke about the responsibility of investing and that this is fairly new and he mentioned 2016 and of course TRC being new and you know it's interesting how asset managers are trying to do more and they're trying to create policies to ensure that going forward they're taking the proper steps but I know at CIBC Mellon we're certainly doing a lot of things as well so maybe Neil you could kind of share some thoughts around that. Yeah, with CAB Smell, and I see it as an opportunity for a lot of individuals, um, whether it be an entry point at an entry level position within CAB Smell, to enter into the investment industry. Uh, I think through the pandemic, uh, a lot of Canadian financial institutions, especially CAB Smell, have been able to implement robust policies that allow you to work anywhere within Canada, which has allowed us to also broaden the pools of talent that we're bringing in across the country and through that it's obviously an opportunity to work closely with the Indigenous communities and to bring them into the fold and have them succeed within our organization. I definitely agree with that Neil and I think uh, um, not only CIBC, Mellon but other organizations are taking part and um, doing much more in regards to recruiting. I mean the pandemic has certainly caused some issues but it's actually brought a lot of positive things that come out of it and one of them as you've mentioned is being able to work from home anywhere. Now we're going to hear from Mark. Indigenous people need to be more involved in, in the investment world for sure. I, Ten years ago I'd signed up for the level one of the, the chartered financial analyst uh, designation and my, anecdotally I'd heard that in North America there were less than 10 Indigenous CFA holders. So we needed to really show our kids who, you know, as Andrew mentioned, have that skill and ability in the math and sciences areas that that's an option for them. 
And, and you know, and as Jamie will tell you that she's been calling dibs on my two sons who are now first year university <laughs> students, um, who I, I am encouraging to go down that path. So I think it's- And for the record, Mark, I've been calling dibs on them for many years before, <laughs> even, before we even knew if they were going to go to university, but I'm really happy that my plan is paying off. That's right, that's right. You know, I have been saying for years, we need more indigenous people in business and finance at, at every level and every line of business. And then when I started having these discussions with the team here at CIBC, I thought, geez, well, it's, it's one thing to be out there saying we need more Indigenous people in this space and then be presented with an opportunity to be one of those people and to say no. And I just thought, wow, that's um, it wasn't my life plan, but I think we're doing good work here. I think we need all sorts of people to, to, to influence the way in which we provide our, our services to our clients. And if not me, then, then whom? And, and that's, that's an important question. If I could add too, just that I was happy of Jamie making the move because I mean, the, one of the concepts that as a trustee, uh, Jamie lived uh, was the indigenous fiduciary, uh, you know, because it, making a decision on behalf of a community uh, you have to take into account the traditions and the cultures and what's important to that community to then articulate that into a financial decision or an investment decision that somebody like Andrew will make on our behalf. And, you know, when you have somebody in the role that Jamie is in now, she can bring that uh, understanding and knowledge to share it with her colleagues who are saying, well, we owe you a fiduciary duty. Isn't that good enough? Well, yes and no because the decisions made by a trustee for their community have to take into you know the impact not, not only on you know how much money we're going to generate for our our trust and our community for, for services but what impact does it have on this generation and future generations moving forward i think that's a, a really a, a great um point of view because from my perspective i'm looking at this as new opportunities i mean these are things that we should have always been doing is looking in different areas for different individuals to be working at our firms and certainly we're venturing out to different areas to be able to find uh, new and very talented indigenous individuals that will be able to bring value to our company so now we're going to hear from jamie both Mark and, and Andrew have touched on some, some pretty key concepts, which I speak with my clients about on a regular basis, concepts like shareholder activism um, and finding ways to incorporate your, your community's values and vision into your investment strategies, right? And those are the elements that allow our Indigenous clients to grasp what is happening out in, in the larger markets, in the non-Indigenous uh, capital market space, but customize it in a way that fits with their vision and their values. And a lot of my clients express apprehension and uh, sometimes a lack of understanding around how markets work generally, um, concern about you know taking all of their community assets and putting them out there into the market. But I think it's really important to keep in mind the old adage of, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The, the, the fact that um, these very complex, 
very sophisticated investment strategies have, have served to grow wealth in the mainstream market, just because that might not be the primary goal of an Indigenous community, doesn't mean that you can't take that history and you can't take that experience and that expertise and, and find a way to shape it to reflect your objectives and your community's values. And, and that's exactly what what people like Mark have dedicated their, their life's work to is how do we incorporate Indigenous values into a system that is developed maybe for other purposes, but I think Canadians generally are becoming very aware of the value of incorporating um, ESG into investment strategies and into the way we grow our economy. And, and I think there's a push right now to also include an I in ESG, right? It should be IESG or ESGI because Indigenous perspectives are so valuable as, as we move forward on, on these initiatives. I really liked what Jamie's talked about when she talked about customization because I think uh, their ability, you know, by bringing in um, what Mark had said about bringing in the values and the vision of Indigenous folks and ensuring that we're meeting their needs. So, Neil, what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, it, it is very reflective of this becoming a two-way dialogue where both sides of the investment community or transaction are listening to what both sides have to say as opposed to always just one side saying, here's what we have to offer. It's now an opportunity for the investment community to come out and say, what do you want? What is important to you? And making sure that investment firms or the investment community caters to the Indigenous community. So what I'm hearing from some of my clients uh, through our active dialogues are they want to see comparative benchmarks to how their their funds are performing to the other Indigenous uh, communities' funds. So as we talk to our clients, we are certainly open to hearing um, what their what their needs are and what, what direction they're going and what their visions are. And we want to take those examples and really find solutions for them, which are probably a similar but unique um, as comparable to some of our larger clients, some of our larger institutional clients. But we know we've got solutions for them and we know that we can help them. We just need to find a way to do it in the scale, the scale that works for everybody. And we want to be able to make sure that um, we're certainly exploring new areas that we may be able to help since we have such a, a vast um, area to be able to develop through Bank of New York Mellon and CIBC. So having said that, maybe I can turn it over to Neil in and get his point of view on, on what he's seeing with clients and what the clients are perhaps asking him. In the conversations that I'm having with my clients, I'm understanding and coming to terms with the fact that there is no one-size-fits-all solution given the fact that CABC Mellon Bank New York Mellon has a great depth of pool of talent and tools at our disposal. It really is an opportunity to listen and learn from our clients and take that information back to our teams to figure out how we can best cater our solutions to our clients and make sure that they're applied in the most applicable manner. And that's right. Uh, Neil and I agree with you completely. Those are the items that we really are still learning from and now is the time for us to really develop a game plan to help these um, in institutional clients find their own way in their own space and make it work for everybody. Now let's move to Mark and the duties around Indigenous fiduciary 
And what we want to figure out is what can be done in-house and what should be outsourced. It's a, it's a discussion and it's something that I think I'm really proud of from NATOA that when we started it uh, in, in two, 20, or 2006 was that we needed that connection and that network for the Indigenous trusts and the communities who were investing money to have an understanding of the financial markets and uh, an understanding and learning from people like Andrew uh, who are investment managers who have that knowledge and we wanted to understand you know what were the roles specific for them what what do they need from us because it, as I mentioned early on we were just getting this money and trying to deal with an appropriate firm like Andrews and then handing them over the money and saying okay do your thing and, and, and make us as much as possible but then we understood as we as we developed and, and learned more was you know well what values are the investment managers investing with, if not ours, because that then it would be theirs and it's not ours. So we really looked at ourselves and say, how do we uh, express ourselves in a way that we can share that with our investment managers so then they would make a decision that would be consistent with how we would do it if we were in those shoes. And I think that helps Andrew and other managers, um, you know, implement the values based investing based on who are who we are and who we were because when you say indigenous that doesn't mean one thing across the board you know when when Jamie and I think indigenous we think to our Haudenosaunee roots but we're both working for uh, uh, you know the Mississaugas of the credit who are Anishinaabe people and it's a different set of cultural values some are similar some are are you know the same and some are completely different you know even in terms of just expressing who they are so it's 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 a discussion that each um, group of indigenous investors have to have because when they think indigenous they think about their own their own community and their own teachings and their own uh, customs but they have to then articulate that get it out into a statement of values or something like that, that they can share with people who are in charge of making decisions. So I think that's really where we are with what we're doing is trying to ensure that we can really have our, our the, the service providers community that we deal with, you know, the, the Leaf Wheelers and the CIBCs uh, that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, but have them understand who we are and that if there are some sort of a conflict between a decision you'd make and a decision we'd make we have to talk about that and you have to understand this is this is that fiduciary indigenous fiduciary that we're bringing in uh, mm -hmm. for the protection of our community mark's comments really uh, highlight what we've we've talked about during this podcast is around listening and you know being attentive to what the needs are of indigenous um, people because what is important to them we may not have thought about in the past. And so it's really important for us to really take a stance and sit and listen and make sure that we fully understand you know, what their vision and their mission and, and their values are so that we can cater towards a solution that fits for them. And I think we've talked about that quite a bit throughout this podcast, but you know, maybe I'd turn it over to Neil and get his thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I do believe that this is members of the Indigenous community also asking a lot more questions to other service partners and making sure that there are the correct responses that, as Mark mentioned, 
do the service providers that they deal with, do their values align with the Indigenous communities? And it really is that opportunity for the first time in a long time where we're having that flow of information flow back and making sure that if there's something important to the Indigenous community, that that is reflective of the people that they're working with. Now, and, you know, if you were speaking to a brand new trustee that was coming to us, what are the types of questions that you would ask that trustee? Maybe you can name a few. Well, first, we'd want to identify through an open dialogue what their vision was, what their mission, their mission is, and then their core values. And then from there, it's expanding out to what their investment goals are and uh, being able to identify what products and services CIB Smellon can provide that align into the vision, mission, and core values. Now we're going to hear from Jamie. When you come to me and you say, these are our goals, um, this is our vision, and this is where we want our community to be in five years, 10 years, 50 years, and then seven generations forward, that gives me the direction and the parameters for how to service you. Neil, and thank you so much for uh, sharing that information. Some of the things, too, that I was thinking about was really understanding that certainly the timelines and the types of investments that the client is comfortable with, as well as understanding what some of their reporting structure would be, because um, there are some clients that uh, may want to participate in having a full accounting and audit, where others may want custody statements and not something as, uh, as deep as they might receive from accounting. So, you know, drilling down deep into some of the items that, you know, affect their day-to-day -day and their monthly reporting and really understanding the reporting that they're doing would also be beneficial to, uh, to uh, us to understand what they're doing. Absolutely. Making sure that that gives an opportunity to get the right product out to the clients and not overburdening them with too much information or too little information. Right. And now we're going to hear from Andrew. I think that uh, for all the listeners here today, just the understanding that um, when that question is being asked, it's not necessarily about like how can Indigenous organizations become asset managers and become uh, custodians and become all these different, uh, play all these different roles. I don't really think that the average um, First Nations community is thinking in those terms. They just want to know that uh, there's skin in the game. Those 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 companies have skin in the game. They're willing to take the time to sit down and understand, and they are taking steps to ensure um, reconciliation is is something that's important to them, and that they can be good partners. So, this idea of um, in in housing versus out outsourcing something. It's not a threat, and it shouldn't be deemed a threat to financial institutions. Um, it's just a wake-up call. How are Indigenous institutions balancing long and short-term needs? Let's explore that a little bit. Now we're going to hear from Jamie. This, I think this is an important question for any client, right? Any client, whether it's an individual, a business, an institution, or, or a government, it is, is constantly balancing their short-term needs uh, against their long-term goals. And, and that's that's very true of Indigenous communities as well, where um, the, the role that, that the government of an Indigenous nation or community will play is, is to make sure that they have the resources to provide programs and services that the community needs and relies on today, but also 
to both protect and, and grow wealth for future generations. And so when we look at, you know, I'll speak from, from my experience with helping Indigenous communities both um, set up and then administer their trust funds, that means you know, how are you setting the financial objectives in your trust to provide annual income for programs and services? And how are you in, incorporating a long-term investment management strategy, working with people like Andrew to make sure that you're preserving and growing that wealth for the future? And, and what we've seen, um, what we've seen from a lot of nations in, in the very recent past is an openness um, to, to leverage their trust funds, which is something we didn't see it, it, not, not that long ago. It was almost unheard of for a nation to leverage their trust funds. But as, as communities get comfortable with concepts like leveraging um, and become more knowledgeable and more sophisticated in their financial management, Right. I mean, I think as an individual, we can all understand that depending on, on the market environment, there are times when interest rates are such that it doesn't make sense to spend your own money. Right. When money is cheap and people like CIBC have it, wh why not borrow it at a low cost to fund your community center while keeping your own assets invested in the markets where experts like Andrew can earn you a rate of return that's significantly, I won't say a number, Andrew, I don't want to create pressure for you from your <laughs> clients who might be on this call, right? I'm not going to put a number to it, but I think it's safe to say over the last number of years that returns, if you have a good investment management firm and, and even in a balanced mandate where you're protecting your assets and safeguarding and appropriately diversifying that your returns are going to far outseed what interest rates have been. And so if you need to borrow $10 million to do an infrastructure project, but you can leave your own $10 million invested and earn excellent returns, why wouldn't you avail yourself of that option if it fits with your community's values? Right. And those are the kinds of strategies that we have to think about um, getting comfortable with and, and deploying so that we can build and preserve our wealth in the same way that mainstream investors would. I think uh, Jamie's point is, is, is well taken because it's no different than any other institutional client that would maybe borrowing funds or leveraging um, against uh, their funds. You know, this is this is what is is being done in today's environment. And as long as the indigenous space is feeling comfortable with the partners that they're working with, there's no reason why they can't benefit from, from doing exactly the same thing. So Neiland, how, how, what are your thoughts around all of that? And this definitely speaks to all community partners having trust uh, with their partners as well. And uh, I think what Jamie spoke to with where, in the past, this wasn't something that a lot of communities were comfortable with, but as they become more complex, uh, they're able to ask those better questions of their investment partners and develop out that trust and make sure that, you know, they are comfortable and it does sit well with the values of their own community. So, Neil, and maybe we can unpack this a little bit and talk a little bit about what CIBC Mellon can do because this really is up our alley. Um, because we do specialize in safeguarding assets and certainly performance reporting. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what Jamie spoke about there was having trust and part of trust is being able to have that level of transparency through CABC Mellon's Next and Reporting platform. Clients are able to see at a very high level 
what is occurring within their portfolios are able to drill down and slice and dice data, which gives them that level of comfort and being able to identify where which areas of their portfolios are doing well or which areas need attention. And it helps build out that trust with Sabi Smilne and their respective investment business partners. Today, I've certainly learned a lot from, from the speakers that we've had on the panel. And you know, I want to reiterate that whether you're a non-Indigenous investor or trustee or an Indigenous trustee investor, you know, the important thing is to ask the questions. And I think all of us on the panel certainly will do the same in return because we all want to be able to understand exactly what um, your vision and your your needs are so that we can make um, the appropriate solutions for you. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of work to do. We still are learning and we hope that everyone here today feels the same way. Neil, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think this forum is a great opportunity, as you mentioned, to be asking questions and ensuring that your voice is heard. And through that, I think there's going to be a greater understanding for all parties involved in any kind of transaction that's occurring. Thank you everyone for joining us today and listening to our podcast. For more insights, please check us out at cibcmellon.com.